You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. My name's Tom, and uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope Church. And as has already been mentioned, we've been going through a series of talks um, in the book of John, which is one of the books of the Bible, uh, which gives the account of Jesus' life. There's four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that give uh, like a biography of Jesus' life. And we are looking at the book of John uh, in this series and looking at statements that Jesus made about himself, where he said, I am. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at, I am the light of the world, which is something that Jesus said. And previous to that, I am the bread of life. And this morning, we're going to be looking at another one of those statements that he made. So we're going to be in John chapter 8, and we're going to go there in a moment. Before that, I wonder if anyone, anyone here can relate to this. You're in an argument with someone, maybe with a spouse or with a, a manager at work or a colleague at work, and you know that you are wrong, right? So early doors, you know that you're wrong. You know that uh, you have to kind of keep going in this argument to try and wear the other person down in the hope that they might concede defeat, right? Anyone can relate to that? Is it just me? You keep going. You think, if I keep going and I'm, if I'm stubborn here, they will eventually give up and they will tell me that I'm right and I'll be feeling good about myself, right? This is exactly what's happening in this passage that we're going to read together in just a moment. Jesus is having a big debate with um, the religious guys in his, uh, in his uh, country who really aren't very happy with him, as we're going to see in a moment. And they know that they're wrong, but they start resorting to uh, personal insults, and they start resorting to all kinds of uh, very, very bizarre questions in order to try and wear Jesus down so that he might eventually say, all right, yeah, you're right. We'll see that he doesn't do that. And as we'll see in this argument that they're having, it goes very quickly from tense to intense to personal, and then actually gets quite violent, as we're going to see in a minute. So let's uh, read together. The verses are going to come up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. We're going to read uh, from verse 48 in John chapter 8. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Right, we're going to stop there just for a moment. The Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans at all. The Samaritans were a part of their, they kind of were a part of their nation, but kind of weren't. In their mind, the Jewish people felt the Samaritan people were like half-bred people. They were people who had mixed with other nations. They weren't kind of pure Jews in their mind, and they really did not like the Samaritans whatsoever. So when they start calling Jesus a Samaritan, it's a racial slur. That's what they're saying. They're basically being racist towards him. And then they say, and we think you have a demon as well. That was a big deal. It would be a big deal in this culture for you to say to someone, I think you have a demon within you. But especially so in their culture to say, basically, evil lies within you. That's what they're saying to Jesus. Jesus answered them, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now, that we, now we know you have a demon. And Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died as well? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. You just need to understand a bit about Abraham. If you're not familiar with the Bible, then basically, right towards the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, God comes to a man called Abraham who's got no kids and he's old. 
And he promises to Abraham that his descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. That he's going to make of Abraham's descendants a great nation. He's going to bless them. God would be their God. They would be his people. And that basically that nation would be a blessing to the whole world. That the whole world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. This is a guy, Abraham's got no kids, very old. God says you can have loads and loads of descendants. For the Jewish people, Abraham was the father of their nation. He was a big deal, right? And they couldn't really perceive of many people older than Abraham. So when Jesus starts to say, actually, if you believe in me, if you keep to my word, you will never see death, they're thinking, well, Abraham died. And all of the other people that have come since Abraham, all of the prophets that they revered and looked up to, they all died. What are you talking about, Jesus, that you're saying, if you keep to my word, you will never taste death. They are really confused by this. So Jesus says, you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you saying you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That doesn't seem very grammatically correct. It doesn't sound like a very good way of speaking. Before Abraham was, I am. Surely he should have said, before Abraham was, I was. You need to understand that what he's saying here is much more significant than him having been around for a long time. Before Abraham was, I am. He is saying here, I am God himself. All right, I'm going to unpack that, why he is saying that and how, it, how they would have understood that to mean him saying that. In the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, we see the story of God's people in slavery in Egypt, right? So they had, Abraham's descendants had prospered, they had multiplied, and yet they ended up in slavery in Egypt. And God came to a guy called Moses, who couldn't speak very well, he was a bit of a stutterer, not a confident guy at all, and God had said to him, I'm going to send you to get my people out of Egypt. Through you, I'm going to free all my people from this oppression and slavery. And Moses was protesting at this, saying, I can't do this. I'm not, I can't even speak properly. I can't, how am I supposed to go to the rulers of Egypt and say, you know, let the people go? So he's protesting with God, and then God, speaking to him through a burning bush, which would have been an amazing thing to see, this bush that wasn't even burning up, even though it was on fire, God said to him, come, I will send you, we're looking at Exodus 3 here, come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, 
and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, this is kind of a weird story. God comes to Moses, speaks to him through a burning bush, and says, you're going to go and see the people of Israel freed from slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, uh, reluctantly, all right, I'll go, but if they ask me what, what God's name is, what shall I say to them? This was significant for them because in their time, names had meanings. We've talked a little bit about names this morning as we've prayed for um, babies right through both services. Names had meanings in a big way back then. It wasn't like today where celebrities might call their children Fifi Trixabel, which is genuinely a celebrity's name of a child, or Apple, or whatever it might be. Names really, really did have significant meanings. So if you met someone, you asked them, what their name is, their name would have been significant and you would have understood a bit about them from what their name was. That is why Moses says to God, tell me what your name is. Because if I'm going to go to those people and say, God's going to free you, I need to know what your name is. And God replies, I am who I am, which is quite cryptic, isn't it, right? Why would God say that? Well, I want to say a couple of reasons why I think he said this. Firstly, that he is self Existent. He doesn't depend on anyone else in order to exist. So in their times, it would have been common for people to have the surname son of, and they're their father's name in there. So my name's Tom. My dad's name is Clive, which is, you don't meet many Clives these days. You don't see many baby Clives, do you? Um, I would have been Tom, son of Clive. And they would have known something about me because of my father. They would have known who he was. They would know something about me through that. So God's saying, I am who I am. I don't have any parents. I have no, no one has caused me to exist. I've always existed and I always will exist. That's reason number one why he's saying, I am who I am. Secondly, that he's not dependent on anything else for his own definition. I've got um, twin girls who are four and they've started to ask a lot of questions about God. What's he like? And, you know, sometimes we read books and, and I'm trying to teach them a little bit about what he's like. It's so hard to explain to anyone what God's like, let alone a four-year-old. Because we have to use things in creation to try and describe God, don't we? So we may have to say something like, he's really, really big. He's bigger than a mountain. Because mountains, to the naked eye, are the biggest thing that we can see on this planet. If you're in space, well, maybe you could see a planet and that's really big, but... Generally, none of us are going to go to space. So the mountain is the biggest thing that we can perceive. And so we have to say, well, God is big like a mountain. Well, actually, that doesn't even do God justice. Because even the biggest mountain is absolutely minuscule compared to God's greatness. We might try and liken him to an earthly king or ruler and say, well, God is a just king like such and such a king. He's a good king. He's a good ruler, whatever it might be. But even to the most just ruler, they look unjust compared to the justice of God and how good he is. So it's very hard to describe God in comparison to anything else in creation. And so God's saying, I am who I am. You, there's no way, you can't compare me to anything and it'd be a fair comparison. Do you understand that? When, if someone called me up and said, what do you look like? And they'd never seen me before. I would say, well, I'm quite tall. How could I say that I'm quite tall? It's because I've seen a lot of people who are quite short and are shorter than me. And so that's how I know I'm tall. But actually, we can't compare God to anything, and so it's quite hard to describe him. It's like if someone says, what, what's turkey like? I've never eaten turkey before. Well, you say, it's a bit like chicken, but it's not as nice, in my opinion. 
So actually, God saying, I am who I am, when he reveals himself to Moses, it's like saying, you can't compare me to anything. I'm in a completely different league to anything you've ever come across. However much we want to describe God, in nice, neat ways, he absolutely blows apart our categories. He's incomparable. He blows them out of the water. That's why he says, I am who I am. So when Jesus says, okay, so connecting the dots now. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, they would have heard God. He's basically saying, before Abraham was, I am. You need to understand that the the word, I am who I am, is translated Yahweh in the uh, original language of Hebrew. Yahweh. And that's what we get the word Lord from. So when we say, when you read the Lord in the Bible, it's probably Yahweh. So what Jesus is saying is, before Abraham was, Yahweh. They're saying, how on earth could you be older than Abraham? He's basically comparing himself to God. He's saying, I am divine. That's what he's saying here. Now, you might meet people who sometimes say that nowhere in the Gospels, those four books of the Bible I spoke about earlier, that are the biographies of Jesus, nowhere does it say that Jesus is God. This is the most explicit of many. He does actually claim to be divine on many occasions but this is the most explicit and we need to actually do that little bit of homework learning about Moses to actually understand what he's saying here he is saying I am divine he's saying I've always existed he's proclaiming himself as Yahweh he's saying I'm the same God who freed the people of Israel out of slavery I'm that God in flesh walking with you right now that's what he's saying he's proclaiming himself as the one that can set them free, just as God set people free from Israel. He's saying, I am towering, I tower over history. I know all things. I have all the power in my hands. I'm not changed by the passing of the ages. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is why they pick up stones to throw at him. That's why they want to kill him. Because in their law, it was the case that if someone was a false prophet, and they were leading people away from the God of Israel, Yahweh, they'd have to stone them. They thought Jesus was doing that, but actually he's saying, I am him. I'm him in flesh. He's not trying to lead them to some other gods. He's saying, I am him in flesh. And that's why they pick up the stones to throw at him and he escapes. So Jesus, this is what we need to understand today. Jesus is proclaiming himself as the freedom bringer. Just as the God, God in the Old Testament brought freedom to the people of Israel, took them out of slavery, brought them into the promised land, Jesus is declaring himself as the freedom bringer in this whole exchange. He's saying, I'm the one who can free you. What does he want to free people from? Well, we're going to read just a few verses before this whole exchange to work out what he's saying. So Jesus said, we're going to look at verse 31 through to 36. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This was really offensive for them to hear. Because they had once been in slavery, they were no longer in slavery. They had their own nation and their own laws. 
they were actually invaded by the Romans. They had some Roman soldiers kicking around. And so in some ways they were under some oppression, but they were free. In their minds, they were free. And that's why they say, we, us, our generation, we've never been enslaved by anyone. How can you say that we need to be freed from some things? Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who does wrong before God actually is enslaved by that. This is offensive to our ears in the 21st century, is it not? This, this country in which we really value freedom at all costs. We really, really value freedom, do we not? That we're able to go anywhere we please and we're able to do anything we like, work in jobs that will earn us money rather than actually working as slaves and not really getting paid. We value freedom hugely. And I love living in a country in which we're free to worship. There's many nations in this, in this world where, we're not, where people are not free to worship and could be put in prison if they said the name of Jesus. We are free, but we value freedom so highly. In fact, when you see some of the, the terrorist atrocities of recent days, one of the big kind of things you hear regularly is, this is an attack on our freedom, or they will never take away our freedom. They will not destroy our freedom. We love freedom, don't we? And yet Jesus is saying, you might be free in those senses, but actually, if you've sinned, if you've done wrong before God, actually, unless you are set free from it, you are a slave to sin. And that is really offensive to hear. He's talking about spiritual slavery. It's not physical. You can't stop it even if you want to, no matter how hard you try, no matter if you build up many to-do lists, you can't escape from sinful patterns of behavior without the help of Jesus to set you free. And not only were we enslaved to doing those things, we're actually enslaved to the consequences of those things. So our sin means we get separated from God now and in eternity. And unless we're freed from that, that's what we're facing. We're facing eternity without God, and that's not an eternity that I want. So unless we're freed from that, we're slaves to it. The good news is this. Jesus came to save sinners. It says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the guy who writes it says, of whom I am the worst. This is a guy who God used in incredible ways, but he realized, I need, I need, to, I need to be freed. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Not only when we place our faith in Jesus, not only do we get set free from that slavery and the consequences of it and that we can know an eternity with God, we actually get adopted into the family of God. We see in that passage that we just read together that the son gets to stay in the house, right? Slaves don't get to stay in the house. Sons do. Sons and daughters do. And actually the good news I want to proclaim to you this morning is that when you place your faith in Jesus, not only do you get forgiven of your sins, set free from the slavery of your sin, but actually you get adopted into the family of God. You get adopted and you're his sons and daughters. We have this phrase, don't we? Well, you get what you pay for. Actually, we don't get what we pay for when we place our faith in Jesus. We get what he paid for. We get what he has won for us. And it's not like we get taken into a promised land like the Israelites. We get taken into God's family. It's not a physical place that God says he brings us into his family, which can be enjoyed anywhere. That is the freedom from slavery that God has won for us. So he can free people, then he can free people today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he can free people from slavery to sin, but he also came to free people from slavery to the fear of death. 
So the argument, as I said, it continued and continued and continued. It got darker and darker, really. They actually start to offend Jesus' mum. They start doing a your mum joke on him. They start to say, we weren't born of sexual immorality. So obviously, the Bible holds that Jesus, uh, was a, his birth was miraculous. So he might have resembled Mary in some way, but he didn't resemble his father, Joseph. So there would have been all kinds of mutterings going on. Is Jesus illegitimate? Is he, was his mum doing something she shouldn't have been doing? So they start to offend his mum in this argument. They say, we weren't born of sexual immorality, i.e. your mum has been playing the field. That's what they're saying to him. It's getting really dark, this argument. It's getting vicious. As I said, they throw a racial slur at him. They call him demonized as well. And Jesus says, I don't have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. I don't, I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he's the judge. And then he draws them in. I think at this point he's saying, come on, come near. He says this, verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He will never see death. In other words, he's saying, you've gotten to the point where you're blaspheming me, you're saying horrible things about my family, you're calling me all kind of racial uh, expletives, and now I'm going to offer you one more chance. I'm going to offer you salvation. If you keep my word, you'll never, ever see death. And they then turn it around and say, he's saying we'll never taste death. That's the words they use. He'll nev- we'll never taste death if we trust in him. He doesn't correct them on that. You know, if you place your faith in Jesus, you will never taste the bitter taste of death. You will never taste it. Yes, you will physically die. You will die. I will die. And some of you here who are young, you're thinking, well, that's going to happen in 65 years' time when I'm 95 or whatever it might be. Some of you who are older here, it might be a bit more of a reality for you, thinking, actually, this could be around the corner for me. It could happen any time for anyone. We mustn't assume that we have... 90 years. We don't all have the nice lifestyle of the queen. You know, if you place your faith in Jesus, you never have to taste the bitter taste of death. You never taste it. My mum at the moment, she's in her mid-60s and she's got cancer for the third time and uh, she's battled it twice and this time it's a lot more serious and going through chemo and so on. And we don't know what's going to happen to her. We don't know. Um... She's praying that she'll have some more years to enjoy her grandchildren and enjoy life, but we don't know. And she is such an amazing woman of faith. She's trusting in God, and she's not gripped by the fear of death. She's not gripped by it. I spoke to her this week, and she said that Psalm 91 has been her biggest support. I'm going to read to you just a few verses from it. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. These, these kind of psalms which talk about trusting in God despite hardship and knowing that he is enough and knowing that he can be our refuge and strength in difficulty, she's digging into this truth. And she's actually more concerned for other people, even in potentially her last years. She's more concerned that others come to know Jesus. And I'm often, when I'm speaking to her, she's saying, can you pray for such and such? Because I had a conversation with her the other day, and I'd like her to come to know Jesus. I'm saying, well, mum, I want to know how you are. What's going on with the chemo? Can you pray for such and such? Doesn't fear death. Doesn't fear death. 
knows that she's going to see Jesus. Knows that Jesus is the best thing about heaven. It's not who you might see there. It's not what you might do there. Jesus is the best thing about heaven. Jesus is there. She knows she's going to be with him. She's placed her faith in him and in his word. She's not going to taste the bitter taste of death. We're going to read just from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. It says here, We see him who was for a little while made lower than the angels, that's Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death so that we don't have to taste death. Jesus tasted it. He tasted the bitter taste of death. He knew the despair and the agony and the loneliness and the the, the separation from his Father God. He knew that so that we don't have to. So that we don't have to. As he hung there on the cross and breathed his last, he tasted death. He tasted death. Let's just read a few verses for it. It says here, In verse 14 of Hebrews 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This here talks about the lifelong slavery of the fear of death. You may or may not consciously think this, And consciously think about death. But we, unless we're freed, will be in lifelong slavery to the fear of death. We'll be in lifelong slavery to it. It will work itself out in many different ways in our lives. But one of the ways it works itself out in is people not wanting to kind of give up on the fact that they're not very young anymore. Right? Paying for all kinds of either cosmetic surgery or makeup or whatever it be. Just to kind of try and pull back the inevitable that is aging and death or people filling their lives with as much kind of riches and uh, belongings as possible to try and stave off the inevitable which is death jesus came to set us free from slavery to the fear of death there's a guy called john piper who's a preacher in america he says without our even knowing it fear of death is a slave master binding us with invisible ropes, confining us to small, safe, self-centered ways of life. Cling to his word, or you will be constantly, subconsciously avoiding risk for the sake of Christ, and you will seek comfort, living lives to avoid death. We all, unless we're freed from it, we all fear death. Now, I went on to, uh, online on the Huffington Post website. The Huffington Post is a a uh, very strangely named online newspaper. And uh, they gave six, it says here, six, pos- six positive ways to overcome the fear of death. And I read it through, and essentially, it's escapism. It's saying, do things that make you forget about it. Do things that make you forget that you're going to die. Do fun things. Do, fulfill your bucket list. Focus on the things you can control. Well, ultimately... You can't control much when the time comes. In fact, you can't control anything. One of them is explore spirituality. I love this. It says here, I was quite intrigued by this. I read it. It says this. A ritual can be as simple as taking a walk every afternoon or lighting a candle each morning. Thanks, Huffington Post. That's great. 
That's not going to deal with the lifelong slavery to the fear of death. I'll light a candle. I'm fearing, I'm gripped by the fear of death. I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to go for a walk in the afternoon. They're not bad things to do, but they're not going to help in freeing us from the fear of death. The world hasn't got any answers in this respect. Only Jesus has the answers. And he says this in John chapter 5. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So making ourselves look younger, trying to fill our lives with as much money and comfort as we possibly can, trying to have the very best health care that we can possibly have, whatever it might be, it only delays the inevitable. They're not bad things, but it only delays the inevitable. Death is coming to all of us. And Jesus said, I've come to bring life in all its fullness. I've come that you might have full life, life to the max, And part of that is destroying the fear of death in your life. Part of that, destroying the fear of death. So Jesus, who's comparing himself to the the same God, he's saying, I am the same God who freed Israel from slavery in Egypt. I can free you from the fear of death. I can free you from slavery to sin. He's saying, I can do it. I did it once, I can do it again. Father God, we thank you for this uh, celebration morning. We've celebrated the uh, young children we prayed for this morning. Thank you so much for those lives. Lord, we pray that they will come to know you in the years to come. They'll come to know you as their heavenly father. They'll come to know Jesus as their savior. And Lord, we just want to thank you so much for the fact that you came to set the captives free. Jesus, you came to set the captives free. You came to save sinners, Lord. And I know that uh, I have in so many ways gone astray, in so many ways in my life. Even by my own standards I've fallen, let alone your standards. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. I thank you, Jesus, that you have freed me from my slavery to sin. I want to thank you, Jesus, that I am set free and that I am forgiven And that I can know you as my saviour, Jesus. God as my father. And I want to pray for all of my friends here this morning. I want to ask that you would set people free even this morning. Those who just know, I've not been set free. I'm still a slave to sin. I'm still a slave to the the fear of death. I pray that you'll set people free. Right across this room, there'll be people who just say, yeah, I know I need a saviour. Would you come and just touch hearts, Lord, wherever... We are, Lord. Come and touch hearts right across the room. And Lord, I want to pray into this fear of man, where people feel just so gripped by what others think of them. Where people feel just, I need people to like me. I need people to speak well of me. I pray that fear of man will be broken today. I pray that, Lord, across this room, fear of man will be broken. Lord, that we would be courageous in our lives. That we would tell people the truth, even if it might make us unpopular that would be free to tell people that Jesus saves. Be free to tell people that Jesus is alive. He didn't remain in the grave. He died on the cross in our place, but he didn't remain in the grave. He rose victorious. I pray, Lord, that we'd not be afraid to tell people about you. Lord, free people this morning from fear of man, fear of what other people think. Would you do that this morning in Jesus' name? Lord, for anyone here fearing death, Lord, I just want to ask that right now you'd hammer home this hope, Lord, this sure and certain hope. We're not hoping for something which might happen. No, we're hoping for something that will happen. That 
having placed our faith in Jesus, when we close our eyes on this life, we will open them on the next life and we will be with Jesus. Lord, we want to pray, I want to pray that right now, maybe for those who are even older in years and thinking this is a lot nearer than it is for some here, I want to pray that you would break the fear of death, that we'd be people who, dare I pray it, that we would die well, that we would die well showing others the good news. Lord, declaring I've got a hope within. I've got a hope within that goes beyond the grave. That we'd be people who really trust in your word. That we'd say, Jesus, I trust you. That I will never taste the bitter taste of death. The bitterness of worry and anxiety and isolation and loneliness and fear. I will never taste that bitter taste of death because I know a saviour who has destroyed the power of death itself. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you destroyed the power of death, that we can know eternal life with you. You're the great freedom bringer, Jesus, and we love you. We say we trust in you. Come and have your way amongst us now as we close in the minutes ahead. Come and speak to us more, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.